My name is Anda Ginska, and this is Pros and Content. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Notch, a digital content intelligence platform. I'm a massive data nerd who's fallen in love with storytelling. And so on the Pros and Content podcast, we will be featuring a series of really incredible leaders who believe in storytelling and who have different perspectives on the importance, measurement, scalability, and optimization of storytelling. My guest on today's show is Brad Young the Vice President of Content Strategy and the leader of the Content Center of Excellence at Prudential Financial. He's basically the main content guy at Prudential, with a very long title. (laughs) Brad is a content veteran. His journey started back in the 90s when he says content pieces were known as advertorials. Brad works within the Prudential customer office, meaning his main focus is deepening relationships with customers, which sounds obvious, but so many companies get this wrong. I think by listening to today's podcast, you'll realize Brad doesn't. As he focuses on building out their core D2C capabilities, he seems to be really focused on making sure that everything that he does, from data collection to content creation to distribution strategies, is customer-focused. The content he creates empowers the audience of Prudential, showing them as an authority on the subject, but also making sure that they're not an authority that speaks down to you if you need help on any financial matters. Here's my conversation with Brad Young. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another session of Pros and Content. I'm really excited to be here today with a content veteran. I hope you don't mind me calling you that. No, that's okay. You spent 17 years at Time, Inc., so I feel like I can call you that. Time, Inc. (laughs) The venerable Time, Inc. Yes, 17 years. Yes, just gone through so much transformation. Hopefully, we'll talk about that too. But um, Hi, Brad. Hello. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Appreciate it. Um, you are the VP of content strategy for Prudential. Yes. I would love to hear before we go into that and what the content means for Prudential, which is fascinating. And I can't wait to hear about, tell me a little bit about your background and in particular, the 17 years at Time Inc. And then the inflection point that made you switch from Time Inc. to the evil world of brands. Oh boy. (laughs) Um, sure. Happy to do that. And again, thanks for having me. Um, so I went to college to be a sports writer. Uh, I went to Penn State. Uh, we are for all the Penn Staters who are listening. Uh, yeah, so I went to Penn State to be a sports writer, uh, and loved it. It was great. Uh, enjoyed it. And for a sports writer, you can't get a better job out of college than going to work at Sports Illustrated. Totally. So I was really, really fortunate. But I didn't go to work for the editorial side. I actually went to work on branded ad- content, advertorials. No way, Man, that's, that's what awesome. they called them back in the nineties. <laughs> branded content were called advertorials, advertorials. back then. Which yeah, w- meant what? Like. Basically, and advertorials was sort of like a bad word back then. Mm. Um, it, was, it was sort of like schlocky, cheesy content that brands would try to make look like the regular editorial, the editorial of the magazine. Right, so to try to trick content. people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, I was really fortunate to work uh, for a guy out of school who was running that department who had been, at one point in his career, like the number two or three editor at Sports Illustrated. So he believed in quality, in quality mm. storytelling. Uh, so we tried to put all the rigor of research and fact-checking that you would expect from Sports Illustrated into these branded content pages that we put in. And it was a really good business for mm. us. Um, and so- uh, Were you I, functioning a bit like an agency, essentially, for these brands? A little bit. Bringing them uh, yeah. ideas? Yeah. So we would, exactly, right? So the brand would say, hey, we want to be around football or the NFL or mm-hmm. Major League Baseball or college sports or whatever it was. And, and we would come to high school sports. We did a lot of high school sports. So we would come to them. My boss would- would come in and uh, his famous line, and I always, I still think about it, and use it all the time. He used to tell brands when it came to content, 
that what you want and what you need are two completely different things. Like you might want our content to scream about your products and how great they are and, and your brand and how, how wonderful you are. But you, what you really want is content that people are going to want to read, be a part of right. and engage with that associates with your brand in a high quality way. So we would, he would go in and, and talk to those brands about uh, what type of content the readers of Sports Illustrated would really like. Uh, they would say, that sounds great. And then he would come back and we would produce it all in-house, all the photography, all of the writing, all the fact-checking. So I had this great opportunity when I was a kid to uh, not just like dig into the archives of Sports Illustrated to research all of the great sports history that the, that the magazine and the brand had, repre had represented over its 50-plus years, um, but also to go into the photos. Like the best part of my job was going into the photos at Sports Illustrated, these iconic images from the greatest photographers in sports history just to get that exact right image. So I really learned a lot about content creation, a lot about ideation and production and quality. It was just a great first job. So yeah, I loved it. It was, it was great. And I was at Sports Illustrated. So uh, what are you going to yeah. do? And from a kid from Pencil Central Pennsylvania, my first trip to New York City was my first interview at Sports Illustrated oh, wow. in December of 1996. So, And then you moved to New York, right? For the I uh, moved to New York, um, uh, lived in Queens for a really short time, and then been in Jersey ever since, my wife and I and my two nice. daughters. Um, so I uh, spent, uh, I think, nine years at Sports Illustrated, and then actually had a chance. Did I want to go down the editorial route, or did I want to go down the marketing route? And hmm. um, ended up running ad sales marketing at, at Fortune, for a time and loved that. That was a great brand to work on. The editors were terrific. Uh, our list of clients, B2B clients was great. So I learned a lot more about packaging, multimedia, um, and uh, storytelling around the idea. And, mm. and, uh, and so did that for a while. And then what happens to most people in publishing these days happened to me, which is you get laid off. And it was the business model was changing so dramatically. While so we that were was there, fortune. yeah. At the end, I, and I was uh, at the Time brand for a short time as well. So after 17 years at Time Inc., uh, I was laid off, and I think February of 2014. Um, and if you think about how much media changed from I started in January of 1997 to February of 2014, think about the monumental change in media over that almost 20 year Gosh, period. Yeah. Right. So, um, and Time Inc. did some good things to keep up with that. And they did some things that we probably didn't do well to keep up with mm -hmm. all those changes. Um, the business model changed dramatically. Uh, I got laid off there. Um, uh, the structural changes. Um, and that was probably uh, some of the best couple months of my career or my life because I got to really dive into the content pool. It was amazing at that time. Mm. Everybody was around content. Yeah. So I was, as, as I was putting myself in the job market, I was talking to PR firms. I was talking to brands. I was talking to publishers. I was talking to traditional advertising agencies and content-specific agencies. It was like everybody was in the pool content. of content. Right, yeah. it was content, content, content. So, uh, and then I had an opportunity to go to Dun & Bradstreet in uh, Jersey. So I didn't have to commute into the city anymore, which was <laughs> wonderful with two small kids. And, yeah. you know, um, and they had a really uh, casual... Uh, dress code, which we still have at Prudential, my division of Prudential, still very casual. Jeans. What, pointing to your shirt? <laughs> yeah, jeans, you know, not in a suit and tie. And um, so my motto became at that point uh, when I went to Dun & Bradstreet, casual dress code, easy drive. It was no suits and no commutes. So if I can keep that the rest <laughs> no of my career, no that'll be very, very good. So um, basically you will only ever work for a Jersey-based company. Well, unless 
my until my kids leave the house and my wife gets really tired of me. Then I might commute <laughs> again. But for now, I'm think I'm thinking I'm stick to Jersey. So I was at Dun and Bradstreet for a couple of years. Loved that time. It was a really it was a great job for me at that time, and uh, I they gave me an opportunity that I'll always cherish. And and then Prudential came calling, and and uh, I I took the move uh, over to Prudential almost four years ago now. So it's been uh, it's been an incredible four years, and uh, talk a lot more about that. But that's a little bit of my journey. I love what you said about when you got laid off and how it was the two best months of your life. Mm -hmm. And I love it for two reasons. One, because I think it takes a lot to say that, mm -hmm. and so. You know, thank you. Yeah, sure. No problem. And then separately, because I think it's indicative of something that we saw in the market as well. We initially came into the market thinking, oh, is this this niche thing? And we're mm -hmm. going to, you know, try to really conquer a niche because they say this to startups, try to focus on a niche, conquer yeah. the niche, and then you grow from there. But the niche has been growing so much. And then we started realizing it's actually comms as well. It's content is used as a strategic instrument to communicate with investors and employees and franchisees and government, not just customers. Mm -hmm. So there really feels like there's been a content revolution over the last, what, six years or so. Absolutely. Right? Totally. And what you guys do and, and other companies like you do is you're there's able no to other connect companies those. like us. No, exactly. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um you can connect those activities in a meaningful way. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, we, we talk a lot about what we're doing at Prudential and how we're trying to do that in, right. in ways that we haven't before as a company right. that's undergoing a lot of change in the terms of the way we're marketing. But a big part of what we're doing now is connectivity across paid activity, earned activity, owned activity, um, service activity for existing customers. Like all of that needs to be connected in ways that are intelligent, not wasteful, and analytics and data uh, are key to that connectivity. Yeah. Um, so not just what you're saying, it's, it's everybody, but everybody doing it slightly differently yeah. and more and more trying to do it in a connected way. And I think um, that's, that's a big part of what we're trying to do. Do, with do, you think, do you think content is the new display? Is it fair to say? Or maybe oh, wow. is it the new social? Oh, wow. It's hard to sometimes... The display question is is really really interesting because I think, I think display, and that's not exactly my expertise, but I I think that display has gotten so, so just like beaten down into into a commodity a little bit, yeah. you know, that it is very specific in its purpose. You yeah. know, we use it, you know, a lot for retargeting, obviously, but it is very very right. we do it for some brand work, but very specific in its role. Um, and I think that social is a is perhaps a, a better analogy because you know you're still telling stories through social, and content is meant to sort of tell, you know, get the complete narrative. Um, I think that it's it's a really really impossible anymore to separate content from brand or other marketing and advertising activity. It's like it's so ubiquitous; it's all one and the same in a way mm -hmm. that. Um, that you, you almost can't say that, I feel like when content started, especially branded content, there was the idea of the branded new, the newsroom, right? So let's just get some formal journalists. Let's put them on a cool floor, give them, <laughs> give them some screens, Have you know, some dashboards. Yeah, give them some dashboards yeah. and, uh, and let them, and let them create sort of newsroom brand newsroom oriented content that people yeah. are going to love. And, th yeah. and that, that still serves its purpose for some folks are, we're not wired that way, but. Um, I feel like we we sort of started there, and then I think for the better of our craft, for the betterment of our craft, sort of 
moved it more into the mainstream of how people, how companies want to market. And yeah. I think that's, we're only sort of beginning that, at least at Prudential. And I think overall. So yeah, I think the, uh, the role of content is not just um, sit in the corner, and make some cool stuff. It's, you know, become a core part of how we market. And um, I love that. That's a, that's a cool opportunity, I think, for all of us. Yeah, I agree. So let's jump into a little bit of content talk. Because mm. I would love to hear what content means for Prudential. And in particular, how they got you to join Prudential. I'm assuming it was the answer to that question. So yeah. I'd love to understand when you were at Denim Bradstreet, your role was also around content. Mm-hmm. What made you make the jump and, and how has the definition of content and what it's supposed to mean from an impact standpoint to the business evolved over the last four years that you've been there? So Prudential reached out to me and they were starting a new division called the customer office. A little bit of that quintessential startup within a large enterprise with very specific goals where content was going to play an absolutely critical role. Our business model over our almost 150 years uh, as a financial services provider, pretty intermediated model, if you think about it. Um, we work a lot with financial advisors to help end clients with their financial needs. We work a lot with employers to help their employees with uh, retirement benefits or group life benefits. What the customer office was meant to do is not blow that up. That's been very successful for Prudential over the years, and we continue to be in those areas, but also to use modern marketing technologies and communication technologies to have a better relationship with that end customer, right? Uh, I see. So, Interesting. And you can see the role that content would play in of that. Of course. And also to create uh, you know, deeper relationships with those end customers and mm-hmm. make sure that if they were working us with us for life insurance, that they knew that we could help them with their retirement. And that this directive to be more close, to, to be more direct yeah. with your customers, did that come from the CEO, the CMO? I'm just curious. Uh, the, the, the chief customer officer, Naveen Argawal, who's now our CMO, um, yep. and I was hired into his organization, he was brought, about, brought in specifically to um, build out to build our direct, out. you know, uh, direct to customer That's capabilities, awesome. as well as a bunch of other technology needs that we might have across the company. And we were not like, we were careful not to be this sort of eggheady innovation shop, right? That's just right. sort of making stuff that looks yeah. cool on paper, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. It was all things that were meant to be really, really important and valuable to the end customer to help them manage their financial lives more effectively. Yep. Um, it sounds like almost like what you're supposed to say, that it was really end customer focused, but we were called the customer office for a reason, right? Totally. It was all the things, again, using modern digital uh, technologies that allow people to manage their money in, in individual self-directed ways that Prudential wasn't really capitalizing. So we built all of that. We have built all of that, a lot of tools, a lot of content. Uh, and that, when that was played back to me, that sounded like kind of awesome. Like what a great opportunity, right? And I mean, I loved being at Sports Illustrated. I loved being at Fortune. I loved being at Dun & Bradstreet. But what's more important, there's few things in someone's life that are more important than how they're managing their money. And to be around content actually helps people with that, like altruistically, that was very exciting for me. Um, And Prudential's a terrific company, um, really well respected in New Jersey, in Newark, uh, where our headquarters are. And uh, I wanted to be part of that. So um, the adventure, the opportunity, the, the brand and the personal finance space were all the reasons why I wanted to come to Prudential. I really like the fact that, um, I, I, mean, I think you're aware of this correlation, but you pointed it out that there's 
a big correlation between trying to go direct to a consumer and the importance of content. Mm -hmm. Because I think, you know, it kind of follows if you say, okay, I want to build a relationship. Absolutely. It implies I'm going to need a value exchange. Mm -hmm. And then the next question is, well, how can we do that? We're not going to achieve it by hitting people over the head with banner ads. Right. We're going to have to give them something of value, yet the something of value still has to have a business purpose. Exactly. And that is how, you know, the content marketing division is born. Yeah. Totally. And it's really cool to hear that that was kind of the umbrella under which you came into the org. Absolutely. And not just from a getting people prospects, if you will, to understand what Prudential does, um, getting new customers into the boat. But we have, you know, 25 million people uh, who have a Prudential product in their life in some way. And getting them to understand through content what more they could be doing for their own finances and then also what they could be doing with Prudential. What a great opportunity that was. So a lot yeah. of our initial work and still today was around engaging the existing customer. So there's a stat, I probably won't get it exactly right, but I'll just ballpark it, that um, about, I think about 80% of relationships between people and a financial services provider are more uh, transactional based, right? If you think about your relationship with your bank, you go in, you check your balance, you maybe move some money around, you pay a bill, you leave, right? That's 80% of people's relationship with financial services providers is that type of transactional level. That other 20% is a more relationship-based mm. and where they come in and they actually look for help. I need answers to these questions. I need to understand how much I need to save for my retirement. Do I have enough life insurance? Things along those lines. That's a very, it's a much smaller population of people with that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. But the depth of um, relationship and products that they have with their financial services provider is, is I think, double, right? Mm. So building, using content to build a relationship because we can't have an individual conversation with 25 million people. Right. You, you have to use content to yeah. really help them understand the potential of their financial lives. And so, um, again, what a terrific opportunity. And so a lot of it is, yes, on the prospect side, but a lot of our work is on the uh, existing customer side. Do you have a breakdown? I mean, do you have a, a hard rule around 50-50 or? No, I mean, I think we've done a really good job of of, of uh, repackaging some things. You know, um, I think if you look at our time spent, it's probably 50-50. Between um, the two? Existing customers. And, and do you and... tend to create a set of assets that, again, as you said, you 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 purpose and repurpose? Yeah, we try to. But we also try to be specific, right? We don't want to just try to jam something in front of somebody because yeah. it's easy, yeah. right, and, 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 and more efficient. We really do try to customize based on what we know uh, through personalization and, and our technology and your existing relationship with us and, and where you might have some opportunity. Um, data, which we're trying to get better at all the time. So we do try to personalize and customize where we can. Yeah. Um, but we also try to be like, hey, if we have this great retirement tool that's going to help somebody understand how much they're going to need in monthly income in their retirement, um, yeah, there's a variation of that we can put on for existing customers uh, behind, a, behind a login. But we also want a variation of that for existing prospects as well, because I think one of the main Google searches in financial services is retirement calculator. So we want to be there for those folks too. So we do try to um, repackage where we can, but we also try to be very specific where we need to be as well. How do you think about the the center of excellence? Mm -hmm. There's uh, the content center of excellence, right? Is that the name? Yes. And I am the leader of the. You are the leader of of it. There you go. Okay. (laughs) So tell us a bit about it. What does it mean? Yeah. So um, 
I'd been leading content in the customer office for uh, a little more than three years um, yeah. this past May. Um, and in the, in the year 2019, uh, Prudential started down a road of really significant marketing transformation. Um, we have, we're fortunate to have several successful business units. Um, we have uh, asset management business, one of the largest asset managers in the world, uh, PGIM, PGM. Um, we have a great retirement business uh, that helps work uh, workplace retirement plans, right? We, we do that. Um, group insurance business, again, you know, some of the biggest companies in the world come to Prudential for their, for their group insurance, for their employees. Individual life insurance and annuities, all of these really great businesses on their own, they all, a lot of them had content functions or they had marketing operations functions or analytics functions. And so um, the opportunity I'm in that and nodding is- because we yeah. see so much of this. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, the opportunity in that is, is not consolidation for consolidation's sake, but to say, we've got all these really, really good people around the company. Um, how can we bring them together, sort of one team, one dream around the mission that we have of you know, helping people uh, solve the financial challenges, right? So uh, the Content Center of Excellence is one of nine centers of excellence that was created in 2019. Uh, to bring these different functionalities under the office of the CMO. We didn't have a CMO before Naveen, our chief customer officer, became And he a became CMO. a CMO in 2019? He became the CMO in uh, spring of 2019. Mm. And then in summer of 2019, they announced the creation of these centers of excellence and, and Naveen uh, sounds yay awesome. content. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. He gave me my job at Prudential and yeah, there you created, go. created these centers of excellence. So uh, yay for content that yeah. we're one of them, and, yeah. and uh, which is kind of cool if you think about it, right? Totally. Not when organic. It acknowledges happen. well, it acknowledges yeah. the importance of it instead right. of prudential, right? And it also acknowledges how awesome a job I was doing. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I like that. <laughs> no, it was uh, it was really really cool, and it's an amazing opportunity to get a chance to lead it. So my yeah. team went from you know it five x you know it grew wow. um, as as I started to work with content folks from around the company. Um, and our my mandate changed dramatically. Um, so, so what does it mean to be the yeah. leader of the center of like? Do you and you don't have to answer this if you can't. But do you, does this mean that you lead by influence or that you lead by dictatorship? Such a good, it's such a good question. <laughs> it's a really good question because centers of excellence can have different models for different types totally. of companies. Because yeah. one model could be a really consultative model right. where you just sort of sit and they bring you stuff and you yeah. say, wow, that's well, we really advise. good. Or yes, exactly. Well, And I think sometimes centers of excellence, and I'm going to give you the entrepreneur's perspective. Sometimes we hear these things and we go, oh my God, not another one of those mm -hmm. stale organizations that basically just sit around consulting slash advising. Mm -hmm. So how does it work at Prudential? Yeah. So we, we are hands-on, man. We are rolling up our sleeves and getting stuff done, which is great. I wouldn't have it any other way. I wouldn't be interested in the consultative job. I'm too, yeah. I'm too, I too, I like I can the see words. that you have a lot of energy. Yeah, yeah. And I like <laughs> the words too much. You know, I want to, you know, I like, I like the words. I like the storytelling. I like what we That's do, awesome. right? So I wouldn't want to just sort of pontificate and go to conferences and, right. you know, all that. So that doesn't suit me that well. Um. So yeah, I, we, we. We do, we're early, right? We, the Centers of Excellence came together just in August. Mm. Um, so we are, we are early days of, of the model. Um, but a lot of it is standard setting, right? We are trying to set standards, um, but we are trying to do uh, great creative work, uh, you know, uh, as well to meet those standards. Mm. So it's not like we set the standards, hold up the Ten Commandments and say, follow these, right? Post yeah. in the hallways. Yeah. We're actually trying to set the standards and then follow them ourselves. Yeah. And, because 
like I said at the earlier, a lot of our business is is through financial advisors or employers. So a lot of our content across right. the company is enablement type content. It's B two B or B two B two C content where we're we're giving the advisor the information they need to talk to their end client about the prudential solutions that are right for them. Um, so we now all of that is in my is in my shop. Before when I was just customer office, it was really all end customer focused, which is a lot of blog posts, a lot of education, a lot of tools, things along those lines. But now we have the B two B on the both advisor and employer side as well. Um, so really, our work is 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 in five different areas. And again, we are player coaches, so we are trying to set the standards for these and build these out as practices while also delivering on the goods. So we have uh, editorial, which is um, uh, educational content, right? Videos, articles, tools, helping people manage their money more effectively. Um, we have content strategy, which is something that really didn't exist, if you can believe it, uh, mm. at Prudential. Well, because I'm assuming whole. it was decentralized, the, it was. the production of content. It was. It really was. And it was a lot of, um, quite frankly, unfortunately, uh, you know, we sort of joke around it being the kinkos of content, right? So, <laughs> you know, request fulfill. And, it, you know, when, you're, when you're moving fast and, and, and you have a sales opportunity or someone needs something, you, you, you try to be responsive, right? And, and so we still will be responsive, but we're focusing much more on what the narrative, what the story should be before we start telling it. So content strategy is a practice, editorial content strategy, copy and creative. We really are, need to establish a singular voice and tone for Prudential. We need to be empowering. We need to be what we say, approach, approachable authority. So we want to be authoritative like you'd expect from Prudential, but not sound like that, you know, annoying uncle who tells you everything you do with your money is wrong. Yeah. So copy, you know, a lot of copywriting. Um, we are looking to establish uh, what we're calling education and curriculum. So if you engage with Prudential, your advisor might say one thing, the web might say one thing. Your employer might say one thing. We just want that one story that says, here's Prudential's point of view on how you should save for your retirement, how much life insurance you need. So setting that across the company uh, through education and curriculum, which infuses across strategy and editorial and all these different places. So we want to build that out. And I think we're, we're pl playing around with separating out content marketing as its hmm. own sort of separate practice within content. It fits under content strategy, but if you think about it, it's also that connection of content to commerce that I would mm. love to have it be somebody's full-time job. So we're playing around with that a little bit as well. So And, and is that, just to double-click into yeah, that, sure. is that around connecting content that's already being created to commerce through you know, a data trail? Or yeah. is that actually creating a different type of content that is more conversion-related? It's, so it's definitely both. It's okay. definitely both. So Interesting. You know, imagine having a really keen understanding of business objectives that say, hey, look, you know, for life insurance, we're trying to do this, retirement this, uh, annuities, we're trying to do this. We should all understand that. We should all really know that as a content team. But then they might have be in with the businesses on the formation of their sort of marketing plans to make sure content is an active part of their planning process. Right. And so they can come back and say, hey, look, they're trying to do this around this new life insurance uh, that we're going to be offering. Um, we have existing stuff over here, but I think if we did this and distributed it this way, yeah. that we'd be, that we'd be really, really yeah, a big yeah, part yeah, of their yeah. plan. So That's cool. it helps us get that seat at the table a little yeah, bit. Yeah. Um, 
And then also really, really, really uh, close to the analytics side of things. Because mm, I think that's, to, yeah. yeah. And, I, and we can make it work. I mean, we have really good people in these other areas, editorial and content strategy and copy and creative. And um, I know that they can think in terms of content marketing in the way they do their jobs. I just would like to have somebody who that's all they think about all the time. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and, and, and then working with us and working with the businesses to make sure content is, is as prominent a part of our planning process as I want it to be. That makes so that's, sense. And we're, and we're staffing, we're, we're building it out, we're trying, to figure, we're trying to figure it all out, and it's part of a much larger transformation. So we're waiting for some other dominoes to fall before we get our stuff figured out, but it's, it's been fun so far. We'll be right back to pros and content after this brief message. The Pros and Content Podcast is brought to you by Notch, the content intelligence platform for brands. For a demo and to learn how to best plan, measure, optimize, and benchmark your content marketing strategy, visit us at notch.com. K-N-O-T-C-H dot com. Notch. It's all you'll ever need. You know, I was just having a conversation with a different, the CMO of a different financial organization, mm -hmm. and we were talking about how the pendulum kind of swings from centralization to decentralization mm. back to centralization. Yeah. And usually where it lands is a more centralized form of decentralization, <laughs> if that makes sense, yeah. where you have a very good sense from the core of what's performing and what's not performing. Mm -hmm. Everyone's singing out of the same songbook, but mm. there's still some freedom at the level of a business unit to create their own content yeah. as long as it's within the guardrails. Yeah. Is that a fair kind of assessment of where you're trying to get to? Or are you really trying to bring it all together? Into I think a we're really, at this point, we're really trying to bring it all together. Um, not because there's too much cost in the system today or not because we need to be more command and control. It's not really like it's the wild west out there. Good work was happening across the company. I think it's just a little bit more around connecting all of our marketing to better performance for the company. And I think it's, you know, I'd be perfectly fine with the model that you suggested from a creative standpoint. I believe that we can do you know, 60, 40 and the 40 that's not centralized would see what the 60 looks like and be awesome. Right. I'm yeah. convinced we in an ideal world, in an yeah. ideal world. Yeah. Right. But I think it's more around connecting all of our marketing and all of our activities to what's going to move the needle for the company. Mm. And that's really what we're yeah. trying to do. And that's do. hard to do if it's decentralized. It's hard to do. It's hard to do. And I, I think we're, we're also trying to, quite frankly, um, spending as much time on what we shouldn't do is what we should do, right? Hmm. You know, so there's... You know, Say more about that. What what shouldn't you do? Or how do you come up I with don't the know things yet. you shouldn't? Oh, I see. <laughs> data would help. No, we're, we're working on that. Yeah, I mean, data I think will it, help. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think um, we... When you have a bunch of people who care about what they do and want to do a good job and work their butts off, I think it's easy to say yes to everything, right? Yeah, and I think totally. that happens at every company and every good company, right? You have people who, who care, who are competent and who work hard. They say yes, right? And things get done. But there's not a lot of tracking on the back end to say, was that, was that impactful content or not? Used? Yeah. You know, they always, what's yeah. the stat? You guys know it, right? It's like 85% of content never gets used in any way, yeah. shape, or form. Yeah. So there's a cemetery of content. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So um, we have to get better at not just in content, but everything to say, like, is this the right activity, right? Yeah. Is this going to be the kind of thing that improves 
Prudential's financial performance, right? That gets us to where we need to go as a company. And I think um, I think we we are spending an awful lot of time on prioritization yeah. and um, and data as core to prioritization. Um, yeah. And then we're going to have to spend a lot more time on measurement because yeah, yeah. I think we're not quite there yet, but but it's a focus for everybody. Well, here's a, a little unsolicited rant from me on the things that on the things that, yeah, on the things that I, I, I really struggle with when it comes to content. I used to think that it was all about the fact that content is harder to measure because unlike display, it's not binary, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And it is to some extent. It is harder to measure, but that problem that problem is solvable, and we and potentially others yeah. in shittier Not ways as well. yeah. Not as well <laughs> have, have have been solving that. But then, what I've come to realize is that there's a more human slash habit formed that is is preventing us from really understanding what content's working and what's not. And it's this idea that data should somehow be present only after the campaigns ended mm. or after the content's gone live. Very few organizations bring data and their data partner to the planning table mm. and ask the question, how should we even be thinking about what we should be measuring? And how should data collection play a part in how we think about content strategy and distribution? And it pisses me off that there's a lot of content out there that lives in completely just black boxes where you can't get any data out of. And at the end of a campaign, everyone's like, well, did it work or not? And right. then you you have no choice but to try to justify your own story. But what that means is that you're still flying at the blind for the next one and the next one and the next Absolutely. one. Absolutely. So not knowing what you're measuring for means you're not optimizing for anything and you're not going to get much out of it outside of vanity metrics. Absolutely. And how, how do you know the answer to did it work if you didn't know what working meant yeah, before exactly. you started the work? Exactly. Right? Yeah. So. At Dun & Bradstreet, one of our principles, because it was a data company, was to be data inspired. And I try to use that phrase a lot. It's it's I more like than that. data yeah. driven. It's more than we like started using data it oriented. It's it yeah. be data inspired, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. like I think that's what you're talking about. And um we're not the only company that could be more data inspired in our decision making. I think we we really to your point on content, there is a humanistic thing to that. But I also think that again, to compare it to display, you know, you could have display that is meant to be, I don't, the analogy of the funnel is one that we use a lot at Prudential. Yeah, that's so. fine. We can talk about okay, the funnel. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. okay. So, uh, <laughs> We're not going to burn. I struggle. I, was, I always try, like, if I could get no, this know, without same. saying funnel. What, what do, you, do you, should we call it journey? I don't know. Well, we did. <laughs> What's the politically to, correct yeah, term I, nowadays? I think journey, the learning journey. <laughs> the learning yeah, journey. Yeah, there, there you go. go. Yeah. Um, but we're so, actually talking about a funnel, just so exactly, that everyone knows. <laughs> exactly. So, um, you know, Display has different roles within different stages of the funnel, and and content I think absolutely does too. And I think where we're trying to get better is, to your point on on data inspired, is not everything is meant to. It's only meant to get people to really do one thing, yes. each piece of content, right? So you yes. could say the objective of the campaign is account opens. Yes, we want account opens, but. The objective of this piece of content or this is not to get the person to open the account. It's to get them to take the the next next best best action, right? I talk about this all the time because you see there's also this bifurcation. On the one hand, sometimes content marketers don't want data because they're like, no, it's fine. It's like, it's good. We just know it. Yeah. Don't don't even try to bring that data into hallway conversations. Hey, I love that. That was great. Yeah, that's all I need. (laughs) Or... The opposite, which is the performance marketing mindset and or demand gen. I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many times I've heard, you know, we measure every 
content piece by how many conversions we had. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, Jesus Christ, you have a high consideration product. Yeah. This is going to take at least three months for someone to go from a cold lead to a warm lead. Yeah. And maybe there's a conversion at that point. So how would you do in between? Right. Exactly. You, you're punishing all the content that is probably doing a great job. Mm-hmm. So it makes me very happy to hear you say that it's all about the next step and the next step. Yeah. And the next we're step. really trying to be disciplined about that too yeah. and, and get other people to see it that way because we are that long, like, Someone yeah. doesn't just wake up in the morning and say, How I'm going to roll over my take? IRA today. Right? Yeah, exactly. You know? So it's like it, it just <laughs> Prudential.com. Like, yeah, exactly. That's, I saw something from them. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a great piece of content yes. I saw. I'm going to go there. I'm going to no, go it, convert now. Yeah, exactly. It takes time, you know, or, you know, it's a life stage thing and, and you know, you have a kid and, you know, you got to open a 529 or you got to mm. get some life insurance and mm-hmm. or you buy a house and you need life insurance. So, um, and you need to be there in those moments. And I think... Um, so yeah, it is a considered uh, purchase cycle. You know, we uh, one guy on my team comes from a more direct marketing background, um, and he's a really smart guy, and he gets it really, really well. And um, and he's a big, big proponent of this. Just that one, that next best action, right? Like you cannot yes. like, and he's been in direct that. marketing his entire career. Um, so you know you're you're uh, we're we're trying our best, and then the, then you also need the data to support that, right? Totally. Um, well, and, it which, also means... and suggest that next best action because exactly. it might not be. It's not going to be entirely yes. obvious. Yes, and I mean, and you need AI and some some kind of personalization so that the next best action for that person is you know the right one for them. Right. This is like turning into an advertorial for, for you guys. I guess so. <laughs> no, but it's it's amazing because you're seeing these things. I'm like, oh my God, yeah. I got it right. It was, you know, it was 18 months ago that my co-founder and I were like, shouldn't we just like try to map this out because it takes longer and mm-hmm. we shouldn't be punishing content. We were trying to say it in these words. You're, mm-hmm. you're very eloquent in the way you oh, say thanks. it because you've thought about this a lot more. Yeah, we were just like, oh, let's like try to replace right. this with, and I didn't, I didn't call it the next best action. I'm, I'm now going to call it that. I will yeah. totally steal it. Yeah. We were talking about how there's stages mm-hmm. and the purpose of a content piece should be to take you to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. So we decided to create a way for marketers to be able to map the stages but my question to you was going to be, do you guys sit down and at, like, have you mapped out all your stages? And do you then like think about how every content piece fits into those stages? We're in the process of doing that right now oh, as cool. part of the Center of Excellence strategy, right? Yeah. Because It's a lot of work. It is. It is. Because let's just use retirement, for example. Um, before the Centers of Excellence, you could have had a really good conversation on your retirement with as many as four different business units at Prudential. Um, and really? yeah, so our workplace business could talk to you about what you're doing at your, at your uh, work or you saving yep. for your 401k, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, the customer office, we developed, um, managed portfolios that would allow you to open an IRA or mm. roll over an IRA, mm. um, through mostly digital process. Um, our, uh, asset management business manufactures mutual funds that perform really, really well. And then our individual, uh, solutions group, uh, has annuities, which guarantee life, lifetime income in retirement. So if you had come in and you were sitting in a room like this and you said, hey, Prudential, talk to me about my retirement today. You could have had four business yeah. units outside the room come in and give you slightly slight variations yeah, or yeah, yeah. significant variations on four different stories of what they could do for you. So as part of the center of excellence, how do we tell a consistent retirement story that is inclusive of the different things that That's we can so do cool. for people? Um, but this is so much bigger than content, though. This it is. is. A, this is product That's integration. A, it is. It really is. That's it's awesome. a lot, right? It's also, 
It's also, you know, different people, different life stages. Who do we want to talk to? Who's valuable for us? You know, the, the guy on my team who I talked about earlier with direct marketing background, he's like, you know, if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. So how do you get very specific on- What's on who, this guy's name? His name is Todd Stanton. And if I said that, Hi, like Todd. he's going to listen, he's going to be like- <laughs> Todd, sounds like yeah, you're doing a great job. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Meet His you. head's going to get even bigger. So. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, Sorry. no, that's okay. Let's not give Todd credit at yeah, all. Then. No, no, no. Can we cut that out of the- No, that's good. No, he's a great guy. And you really, I've learned more from him probably in the last year than- than I've learned from anyone who uh, has ever worked for me, just because he comes from that background. But yeah. if you're talking to everybody, you're talking to nobody. So how are you actually being specific in that journey for the audience that you want to attract? So, and then for existing customers versus prospects. So we're yes. really doing a lot of that right That's now so to cool. say, what are the steps? What's the, you know, what's that learning journey funnel, whatever you want to say uh, for a consistent narrative around retirement and what potential can do for you. Mm. And we're doing that this across many This sounds like so much bigger than a center of excellence. Well, that's why there's nine centers of excellence. No, I we're know. All but joining. still, it's like the it's like the. Uh, I feel like you should have like superheroes. It's like the Avengers. Something. It is. Yes, we're like there the Avengers. Go. I should come up with that. <laughs> yes, yes, you should. Exactly. It sounds a lot more badass. <laughs> yeah, it does, definitely does. It definitely this does. This is so cool. Okay, so let me ask you. Um, I guess like into the section of kind of life advice and mm -hmm. career advice. Um, let me ask you a little bit about how do you navigate, and again, say wh whatever you can. Mm -hmm. But how do you politically navigate? consolidating a lot of these functions and how do you kind of get mm. people into the fold to fight for the same mission when they've been used to not necessarily doing that um, up to this date? Yeah, that's, yeah, I think um, if I get in trouble for anything, it probably is going to be over-communication for oh, really? the people who come in <laughs> to work for me, right? So they don't know me from anybody. And I think being present, um, being available, like even something as simple as saying like, and I try my best to keep this, but from 9.30 to 10, you can always find me in my office with the door open. Like, it just come by, Yeah, that's right? awesome. So um, office hours. Someone sends an email. We have this woman on our team who uh, loves to bake, and she sends an email <laughs> saying, I bake these awesome cookies over the weekend, and just hitting a reply all and saying, like, oh, I can't wait to, I'm going to try to get down, you know, thanks yeah. for doing that. Like, yeah. just being be, a human. Yeah, be human. Be, yeah. Let them know that, like, you, exist. you don't have all the answers, yeah. but you're here, yeah. and... um. And you do, you try to communicate what you can, when you can. So I think the big I thing like is, um, you know, over-communicate, lean on the side of over-communicating. Mm. Um, I talk a lot about empathy. I think it's huge, mm. you know, um, not to get too sort of sappy, but um, no, you, re sappy. you really, you really <laughs> do have to understand that in times of transformation, people are really insecure. It's, it's, it's a natural thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, and Change it's understandable. And you can't sit in front of people and say everything's going to be fine because you don't know, right? Yeah. It's it, it, it's uh, well, and I think in today's world, people don't trust leaders who pretend to know what they're doing, <laughs> right? Because they have, have a really good sense for the fact that you're you really don't know what you're doing, right? Or and that so you have transparency all the is the only way. Yeah, I, th I really try to be as transparent as I can be, and I think as empathetic as I can be, and those, mm. and then and then and help my leadership team be that way as well. Um, we like put that. really good leaders in place right away. Um, you know, uh, John, Sharon, and Marilyn are my leaders right now, and and they're they're doing a terrific job. And, shout out to them! Yeah, shout out to them. <laughs> they won't get big heads like Todd, but the, uh, <laughs> um, but no, they uh, they're they're really good, and um, you know, talking with them regularly, learning their business because, and you also have to admit well, again what you don't know. Yeah, like I, I and you get it's sort of the stage like I want to know what I don't know, and then admit what I don't know, and have people who do know help me with that, and then you start to make some decisions. So. Uh, yeah. And, um, 
it's been it's been really good so far. I think the you realize how smart people are and how good they are and how mm. much they care, right? Like, you know, the the team that I inherited is so experienced. These people have been doing this a long time and doing it really, really well. They know things far deeper uh, around what Prudential can do for people than I would. So just respect that, and um, ultimately everything's gonna gonna be good. And I think people do get the need to go where we're going. You know, I don't think I'm getting many questioners like, why are we doing Well, this? maybe that's correlated with the over-communication, yeah. right? Yeah. Because I do think if you do a really good job of explaining why, the why, and then creating the space and empowering people to just go do what they're good at, then I think that makes you a pretty good leader. So well, kudos hoping. to you. I hope so. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. But they're good. They're really good people. So let me ask you one more thing. Yeah, sure. If if someone's just coming out of college now and they want to be a you know a sports illustrated object, yeah. but but they they're thinking about marketing, they're mm-hmm. thinking about content. Maybe they've already chosen a job in content and they're at an agency now. Mm-hmm. Do you think content as a function as a category is one of the pathways to CMO? Absolutely. Oh wow, that's a great question. I'm just curious. Yeah, I because mean, it's such an interesting um, intersection, right, of functions. Mm-hmm. And you you can't work in content and not touch media, creative, brand, digital, brand, right, totally. data. Yeah. So, so that's one of the questions that I ask myself. I'd love your thoughts. I think we need to, we need as an industry need to make sure the answer to that question is yes. So I think I have a I have a ten year old daughter and a fifteen year old daughter. Congrats! Right? Thanks. Yeah. So two daughters, nice. Fifth grade and ninth grade. Yeah. <laughs> and big shout out to them because they're terrific. Yeah. Um, but. Um, they kids today kids today yeah um, tell us more about kids <laughs> today um they create a ton of content yeah think about it right yeah, like true. tiktok and everything else like they're creating things on their phones that you know um my 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 10 year old loves to show the goldbergs i don't know if you guys watch the goldbergs but it's a show set in the 80s right and the hero of the I, show I wasn't in the country then. <laughs> well, it was set in Philadelphia in the eighties. Oh, so nice. there you go. And so the hero of the Goldbergs is a high school student, and he uh, it's sort of semi autobiographical. And he films uh, he he likes movies, and he films his own movies with a big old old video. And he's kind of like an anomaly, the dorky kid who makes the movies. Every single kid makes movies now. They all make movies. They all make content. They're growing up as content creators, right? So think about what like how good they're going to be at it when they're actually real people and not little kids. And then the generations behind them. So if they can, I tell this to my daughters all the time, like they really like to write. Um, I think that's the big thing is no matter what kind of content creator you're going to be, make sure that you can put sentences together. Like it's such an underrated skill, you know, like, and, and hopefully through all their texting things that yeah, they do, like they, good they're it. good with that. I don't they know they actually that. know how to put sentences together. I feel like together. 90% of the texts are emojis. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although they complain about their grandparents' use of emojis. So yes. um, if that crosses generational lines. But the, uh, uh, you know, they, I think that they, they're going to come up as content creators and have expectations and abilities around content that um, make them extremely, extremely valuable to brands. And so if they can, we can round out their understanding of how companies make money, how to lead these. They're going to, I think content is absolutely a way to the CMO, to the corner office. Um, I think we need to respect it as a practice um, because it's only going to continue to grow. And, and, and 
we're talking about someone who's coming out of college now. I'm talking about people who are going to come out of college in 10 years. Like their their handle on content and storytelling and the mechanisms and means of storytelling is going to be terrific. And yeah. we as brands would be really foolish not to empower Tap them to the yeah. highest levels of our company. Yeah. Because you know they're gonna they're gonna be really really good. Yeah. Um. So I think a lot about that. No, I like that. The the one thing I'll add is always trying to figure out how content correlates back to the business. And you've made you've made that point so many times, and I love seeing that in content leaders because ultimately. Unless you can articulate that and unless right. you can demonstrate it and lead to it, then yeah. the corner office is not going to happen. We have to know how we make money. You have to really yeah. intimately understand yeah. how the company makes money. Even if you're doing top of funnel branded content that's yeah. just great storytelling, you really have to understand have to how it, Exactly. Exactly. Or or very quickly, someone's going to say, like, we're giving them how much budget, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, so um, I think you you do. And it's not easy by any stretch of the imagination to connect the content to the, the the bottom line, but that's kind of why we're here, right? We're, we're, our job is to figure that out. So summary is, you know, we have to maintain the balance between the two. Because yes. ultimately, if you over-index on performance and try to draw a straight line, mm-hmm. that's not great. No, because you're not going to tell your best stories. No, and you're yeah. going to end up in a transactional, mm-hmm. quality relationship. Yeah. But if you over-index on the other side, you're going to end up with a great brand that isn't connected to the business. Empty clicks, probably. Yeah, A lot of exactly. empty clicks and taps, right? So kind of the future of content being really at the intersection between these two and mm-hmm. hopefully the future of content leaders being in the same office. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. That would be good. I don't want to do that. I want to do this job for like 20 years. And then you just do? Re- oh, totally, oh, man. I'd love to retire good. from Prudential. It would be a great oh, company awesome. to work for. for- Honestly, I I don't think I've met as many people as you who are as excited about where they work. Yeah, no, and I what mean, they do. Yeah, yeah, it's I, awesome I, to it's, see. It's not easy by any stretch. It's 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 a big company. We do a lot of things, and you know, it's it, we're entrenched in a lot of sort of the ways that we do things. So it's not necessarily easy Nothing's every day, easy. but it's. Yeah, right. That's why we get paid. So this is actually an advertorial for Prudential. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so you can exactly. join Prudential exactly. after exactly. this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for Thanks being Thanks for having me. It was a great today. conversation. This Happy to awesome. do it again sometime. Thanks. Yeah, we have to dig in a lot more. All right, Thank cool. you. Thanks. That was such a fun conversation. I loved talking to Brad. I always love talking to Brad. Ultimately, every time we chat, he says that the approach he takes with his customers is the same approach that he takes with his coworkers, which is to be human, lean on the side of overcommunication, and strive for transparency and empathy. I always learn a lot from communicating with him and hearing those tidbits, and I think almost everyone else could. And then finally, it sounds like we're all in agreement that the kids of today are going to be the biggest content leaders of tomorrow. They're natural content leaders because they're already some of the biggest content creators across TikTok, Instagram, etc. So us old folks got to watch our backs and make sure that we continue innovating and staying on top of all of the right platforms. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. And for any feedback that you have, please email me at anda at prosandcontent.co. I would love to hear from you, especially if you'd like to nominate other speakers for us to feature. And if you want to hear more amazing content about the pros and cons of making content or being a better storyteller in today's world, please head to prosandcontent.co for more episodes. The best thing you could do for us is to rate, review, and share the series so we can grow the community and the much-needed conversation around the purpose and importance of brand storytelling. See you next time on Pros and Content.